Born to Ride Jam Music and Motorcycle Festival. Saturday, November 2nd, England Brothers Park in Pinellas Park. Starring Paul Rogers and Joan Jen of the Blackhearts. Also, Blackberry Smoke, Foghat, Molly Hatchet, and David Allen Coe. Joan Jen of the Blackhearts and Paul Rogers. Meet Sons of Anarchy stars Katie Seagal, Theo Rossi, and Kim Coates. Paul Rogers and Joan Jen of the Blackhearts. Plus, Counting Car stars Danny the Count Coker and Kevin Mack. Joan Jen of the Blackhearts. Don't wait. Hurry and get your tickets now at FordToRideJam.com. Your Pizza Shop, located at 1200 8th Avenue Southwest in Largo, offers a great selection of personalized pizzas, pastas, and calzones, as well as delicious wings, subs, salads, and tasty desserts. Enjoy the relaxing atmosphere and scenic view overlooking Pinecrest Golf Course. Remember, for the finest pizza anywhere, takeout, delivery, or catering, call 581-1101. That's 581-1101. Or order online at yourpizzashop.com. Women welders are, it's hard to say that they're up and coming because they've been around since World War II. I mean, thats we relied on women welders for years and years and years. But it's kind of come full swing where they're up and coming. I see more and more women going to school, and it's awesome. They're, they have this whole sense of, of confidence to them that they can really tackle anything. But sometimes... Most of the time, you have to fight, and you have to prove yourself over and over and over again. And then to top it all off, we don't have apparel that fits us. I don't know what what time that I have ever put on a mid glove where my fingers actually fit, or a TIG glove, or leathers that I'm not swimming in. But it's nice that we finally will be able to have something that fits us, where we can be safe, and we can do the job that we really want to do. The main thing about us is that we have smaller frames, smaller shoulders, smaller waists, we have curves. Take the jacket for example, it's it's actually cut for us. It has a nice hourglass shape to it. It has snaps that you can adjust the back of it to get it even a little bit more fitting. Sometimes it actually looks slimming, whereas normally your normal welding jackets you're swimming in. So this is really nice. They're, they fit around the wrists. Your sleeves aren't too long, but they're not too short. And you actually snap them and they actually hug your wrist for the first time ever. Our new women's line of mid gloves, they fit your hands. I can actually grab the torch without having to like pick it up 500 times. You know, these ones actually allow you to move and you can feel everything and you can just, you can weld better because you can actually feel your torch. You can feel what you're supposed to be doing. The Steelworker gloves are great. They're soft, they're, they, you can actually move your hands. They're great for working around in the shop, moving metal, doing that kind of stuff. And they actually fit your hands. I don't know how many women want to pick up a helmet with skulls all over it. I mean, granted, there's some tough chicks out there that are welding, but there's still feminine women out there that don't want these tribal designs or whatever. They're great helmets. They still do the job, but if we're going to have our own design, we might as well give it a little touch of love. So the Amp Angel kind of brings that in, bringing in some of the more feminine colors, some of the more feminine designs, but still provides the protection just like all of the other hardcore helmets that we have. So to have something that actually fits us, first and foremost, is safety. Second of all, it just makes us look better when we're out in the field. So, I mean, who can't want something like that? 
It's awesome that I can team up with Lincoln to provide this for women so they can be safe and do what they love to do. I bleed red. My father used a Lincoln Electric, and my grandfather used a Lincoln Electric, and they're proud of that. They're proud of the fact that they have used these machines for years and years and years, and still using these machines for years and years. And people want to show that loyalty, and that's, that's what it is. That red and black runs through our apparel and runs through who we are. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hey, this is Lou Santiago of Car Fix and GarageInsiderTV.com. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio, streamed around the world, across the globe, and probably somewhere out in the universe, if you believe in uh, extraterrestrial beings. Good evening, Mr. Uh, Cedric. How are you this evening? Yes, we're, we're worldwide, Robert. We are worldwide. Are we out in the universe, too? Quite possibly. So, okay. I, I hear people pick your shows up and just rebroadcast it just for the heck of it in Mars. I, uh, you know, well, we know it goes on in the state of Florida. We do know that for a <laughs> fact. Don't we? Our show is being pirated, but that's okay. We like that. We're not going to uh, make too big of a stink as long as they don't infringe on our copyrights. But it's anyway, a long hey, trip to Mars, too. It's a long trip to Mars, yeah. I've never tried walking it. And I don't know if I've got enough horsepower to get my happy hiney there. But at any rate, hey, run your computer and Google uh, our website, which is GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you've missed any of our past shows, you can check out our podcast. Do not forget to like us on Facebook since we're going for the million likes. In fact, we even posted something up there. Help us get to a million likes. Not sure what that's like, but uh, some of our guests that have been on our show have got a million plus likes. But anyway, hey, let's see what's going on this Saturday. The big, the bad, the born to ride jam. And it will be guest hosted by our very own Artie Fletcher. Be sure and check out the Artie Fletcher show, which follows Nostalgic Radio and Cars at 8 p.m. promptly. No, 8.05, 8.06, 8.07 p.m. promptly. At any rate, uh, yes, you know who's going to be there? Tell you what, Danny Coker of Counting Cars is going to be there. He's going to be signing autographs. Katie Seagal, Married with Children, and of course, Sons of Anarchy. But the bands, the bands. Bad Company, Molly Hatchet, Fog Hat, and then uh, Joan Jett. Joan right? Jett, man. I know you're a big Joan Jett fan. You know who's probably a Joan Jett fan? Radio Rob. Oh, he's a huge Joan Jett fan. <laughs> hey, speaking of which, Radio Rob, here's an announcement for you. By the way, speaking of the concert, okay, if you call in right now, 441-3000-727-441-3000, you can win yourself a set of tickets to the Born to Ride Jam. I have a set of tickets available, okay? The number again, 727-441-3000, anybody who wants to go this weekend also. But that's for first-time callers. Now, my message to Radio Rob is, Rob, we know that you have just kind of like launched yourself in the stratosphere in terms of popularity and fame, you know, by being the sports geek on uh, the Artie Fletcher show. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be the sports geek on my show, but you can only talk about Formula One racing, NASCAR, IndyCar, and GT racing. Now, if you're willing to step up to the challenge, we will bring you on from time to time, and you can sit there and give us play-by-play actions on racing, because you need to broaden your perspective a little bit on sports. I mean, I know you're limited to stick and ball, but my listeners... The average listening age of my audience is 45 to 75 years of age. 
They don't use computers. They use tools, you know, wrenches and screwdrivers and sockets and ratchets and link and welding tools, you know, things of that nature. You know, we, we turn wrenches, we, we sniff gas, we boil rubber, you know, just all kinds of cool stuff like that. So Radio Rob, if you're up for the challenge, we will, uh, we will accept your uh, challenge. He probably hates motorsports. Motor you think so? Yeah. I don't even know if he has a car. I, I doubt <laughs> it. I hope they don't let him drive. Anyway, yeah. anyway, hey, let's see what else is going on this weekend. This weekend, okay, also, we had a, a lady on, um, Mrs. Uh, Van Nagel. She was the uh, president of the Hilthead Island Concourse d'Elegance. So that's going on this weekend on Sunday, November 3rd. Uh, it's been a, kind of like a week-and-a-half-long thing there. They had the uh, vintage races up in Savannah, and then, of course, they have the Hilton Head event going on. So that would have been a lot of fun. And next year, I'm going to put that on my bucket list. Uh, the big one coming up next week is SEMA, November 5th through the 8th. Bug Jam, Sunday, November 10th. St. Pete Yacht Club, which is a really stunning and amazing show. It's evolved in quite a show, as a matter of fact. It's a very nice show. It's not exactly a concourse, but the the quality of the cars that show up there are almost concourse quality, okay? I mean, they're pretty much hand-picked, and so they've got a good selection of cars, and that's downtown St. Pete by the Vinoy, and that's also on November 5th. And, of course, let's see, what have we got? November 14th through the 17th, we have the Zephyr Hills Fall Festival. That's auction, swap meet, all kinds of cool stuff. That's the biggie. The fall one's pretty good over here in uh, Zephyr Hills. Uh, we've got the Daytona Turkey Rod Run, which is Thanksgiving weekend. And, of course, the same weekend as the Zephyr Hills Fall Festival, we have the Daytona Historic Races at Daytona, which is November 14th through the 17th. So that pretty much winds up everything that's going on. And Moultrie is the following weekend. So we'll be talking about some of the upcoming events. Anyway, I think we've got something on the turntable here we got a great guest coming up for you a little bit later in the show. It is another lady in the automobile hobby, okay? She's uh, well-known on TV, but uh, we're going to go to this little song. We're going to take a couple oh, commercials. And, and, Robert? Yes? We, ha- we have a winner for the tickets. We do. Super. And uh, Rob called in. So this is a separate issue. He called in and said he's a big Jeff Gordon fan. Why am I not surprised? I have no idea. He likes the uh, the Rainbow Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did that come out right? I'm not sure. Well, no, yeah, no. They yeah. used to be the Rainbow Warriors. I'm not sure. That's back when uh, Everham was their crew chief. He's not driving for, for DuPont anymore or whatever? Well, yeah, he still is. He's, he's still driving for uh, Rick Hendrick Motorsports. But I don't. I think they changed the name now. But anyway, yeah. so uh, Jeff Gordon's a pretty good driver. you got to hand it to him. He's done very, very well, you know? And, uh, you know, someday my goal is to have uh, Danica Patrick on. And, uh, so, and if I do get Danica Patrick on, I will definitely try to get an autographed poster for Radio Rob. How do you like that? How about that, Radio And I will make an effort to get an autographed poster from Courtney Hansen and a few of the other ladies that have been on our show here in the past uh, couple of months. Okay, so hey, we've got a great song. Look at this. Guess who? American Woman. Because the lady coming on a little bit later is a real American woman. From the Black Hills of South Dakota. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We will be right back. So go away.
this is Jared Zimmerman from Car Fix TV, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for takeout order at 727-501-9090 that's 727-501-9090 they truly have the best smoking barbecue in town oh and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce that's the rib shack barbecue in downtown largo 727-501-9090 i'm telling robert from nostalgic radio and cars sent you Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my good friend William Helfrich. He's a lawyer, and a darn good one at that. He specializes in medical malpractice, social security issues, and probate. His credentials are exceptional. He is a former JAG, yes, a military lawyer, sworn to uphold the law to the highest ethical standards. For over 20 years, he was an attorney for the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Give Bill a call at 727-831-5312. That's 727-831-5312. Let William Helfrich help you make informed legal choices. This is Ian Johnson from Extreme 4x4 and the infamous Big Tire Garage. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Life short, play dirty. <laughs> that means do it in the mud. Hey, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You know, a couple weeks ago, you heard me telling a little story about um, I was digging out my old 73 Pinto bean and I was fussing with the uh, oil filter on that thing. It just gave me fits. And something I hadn't experienced in a long time was the fact that when these cars sit for years and years and years and years and years, and even though when I put an oil filter on a car, you know, I fill it up a little bit with oil, you know, so it's easier to prime, and I put a little oil around the gasket, and then I hand tighten it cautiously on the side of the block, fire the thing up, let it run for a little bit, get it nice and warm, maybe run it around the block, park it again, check for leaks, give it one little skosh, you know, you would think that the, the filter would be fine. But here's what invariably happens. If they sit for a long period of time, it's almost as if they weld themselves to the side of the block. Well, last week I had to dig out my mighty Bronco 79, and uh, guess what? I ran into the same problem. Only problem was is the truck originally came with a 351 400M because that was the options in 79, 78, 79. And I, uh, over the years, got a little tired of that anemic-powered engine, and I decided to drop in. Uh, one of Ford's famous 385 series motors, which was a 460 429. And uh, so this is a motor that I actually, literally, the very first motor that I literally completely hand-built by myself with the supervision of a very, very good friend of mine, Ward Blazer. And Ward Blazer is notorious in this area for building some of the baddest little motors in the world, Fords, Chevys, Chryslers, whatever. Just When he waved his little magic wand, those things just, just came to life. And uh, so anybody who's been in the Pinellas County area for the last 40, 50 years, the name Ward Blazer rings a bell. So big shout-out to Ward Sr., big shout-out to Ward Jr., and a big shout-out to Butch. And they all used to run a shop back in Largo back in the 70s, and I kind of stumbled in there one day because there was a speed shop over on um, on uh, East Bay Drive, and it was called Honest Charlie's. And uh, John used to run that, and he had a real nice 57 Chevrolet out front. It was kind of a copper color with a clear, transparent uh, bubble dual-quad uh, air scoop or uh, whatever you want to call it, a... Uh, kind of a scoop on top. It was kind of cool. But anyway, so uh, he saw that I was uh, f- struggling with my Fords, and he said, well, why don't you go down and see Ward Blazer because uh, he's a pretty good guy, and he's working on a Boss 302 right now, and he might be able to uh, give you some uh, insight as to how to stick your motor back together. Anyway, so he 
over the years, he taught me a lot of tricks of the trade. But anyway, so we got to be really, really good friends. And then, of course, I one day I wanted to change the motor in my truck. And he says, well, that's fine. But, you know, I think it's high time you learn how to do this yourself. And even though I'm not a bad wrench, I'm good at taking things apart, putting it back together and figuring out what's what and what goes where and when and wrong, stuff like that. But I'm not a very proficient person when it comes to troubleshooting. I do struggle with that a little bit. And electrical is not one of my fortes. But nonetheless, so I built the motor. It sat for a long time. And long and short of it, here I am. I'm trying to get the uh, oil filter off. And... I could not get that thing off of there. It was literally welded on there. So I have a power steering pump on the way and a power steering box, and the truck's a four-wheel drive, so it's like there's not a lot of room. And I really didn't feel like spending two, three hours taking nuts, bolts, brackets, power steering pump, lines, hoses, and all that other good stuff apart. So I just got on it, and I cranked, but I didn't have a lift, so I was kind of laying on a creeper. I had the thing jacked up a little bit, and I was just wrenching, and I could not get that thing to bust loose. So then I had to take the last resort, which is basically puncture the uh, oil filter with a screwdriver again, and to no fail, the only thing I did is I twisted off. So there he was, oil all over the place, covered in, you know, Ford guts, basically. And uh, so then I decided, you know what, enough is enough. I cleaned up my mess, and I called up my buddy, Ted. Big shout-out to Teddy over there. And um, I told Teddy that I will have to bring my truck down there, and we have to throw it on his lift because I cannot get the oil filter off. So anyway, sure enough, that's what I did. The next day I went out there, and here we thought this was going to be like a 30-minute job. We had no idea. But he was able, because he had... An American-made oil filter wrench, unlike my Chinese inadequate cut rate, which is all you seem to be able to buy these days, uh, filter wrenches, because I didn't have my good one, which was at my house. This was at, uh, at my shop. And, uh, but anyway, so we were able to very gently work that oil filter off. In spite of the fact that it was twisted, um, it came off. So that took less than 10 minutes, so I was pretty thrilled with that. So needless to say, we uh, put a fresh filter on it, filled it up with oil, fired that monster up, and she ran fine. So I will be sporting around in the old 79 Bronco here in the next uh, few weeks because it's high time that that thing goes out there and does some donuts. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the truck's four-wheel drive, and uh, it's a cool piece. I think there's a picture of it if you go to our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and you go to Snapshots, there's a picture of the mighty Bronco on there somewhere. And it was purchased brand new at... Bill Curry Ford, the Ford store. In fact, the other day when I was rifling through the glove box, I actually found all the paperwork to that thing. So here I have the original key tag, the original owner's manual, the original bill of sale, the original warranty card. I mean, that is basically how you want to find the car. If you can find somebody that wants to sell a one-owner vehicle with all the paperwork, all the documentation, and just a good history of ownership in terms of care and maintenance and love and passion for the vehicle, that's the ultimate car. And if you do find something like that, you definitely want to keep it all original, unmolested. Don't mess with it. Leave it alone. Just tidy it up. Enjoy it and have a lot of fun. How are we doing here on time there, Mr. Cedric? Uh, we're doing okay on time. Just waiting on the guest. Okay, very good. Well, our guest is, uh, just to give you a kind of like a quick update, is traveling from the L.A. area to Las Vegas because she is on her way to SEMA. So uh, with a little luck, she'll be calling in. I told her to give us a call somewhere around 20 after or so. So in the meantime, I will be jawjacking. You get to listen to my happy voice for the next five or six minutes or, or less. We never know. And uh, let's see what other stories I got. Oh, yeah, we went to uh, the, 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 the last weekend. What did we do? What was last weekend? Last weekend. Oh, last weekend I was actually working on my lawnmower. How about that? You know, And that's another thing that was driving me up a wall. Here I am I'm working on my lawnmower, and all of a sudden it's kind of making these little weird noises. And it's uh, got a 52-inch wide deck on it. And it's got three blades, and it started making this little howling noise. And I'm sure you guys are all familiar with a howling noise. That's usually the first indication that a bearing is going bad. So naturally, the first thing you do is you get, start looking at it, and you scramble to find your handy-dandy grease gun. Sure enough, I found a grease gun, which I have. And 
what happens? It's empty. So that didn't do me a lot of good. So I had to stop in the middle of whatever I was doing. I run into the parts house, go get myself some uh, grease cartridges, stick them in my grease gun, go grease up the old uh, little uh, little spinny thingy there that the blade screws to. And sure enough, it wouldn't shut up. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. So then my last resort was to unbolt it. And then that took a little while. And uh, so now I got that piece floating in the backseat of my truck and I've got to go run to Sears, I guess, to run down to Park Boulevard or Park Street and get myself a handy dandy, I guess they call it a transmission of some kind. But at any rate, last weekend, what else did we have going on? Last weekend was uh, a number of events. We had the British Car Show in downtown Safety Harbor. And that was an interesting event. I'll tell you who I met there. I met a gentleman by the name of Jerry Coker. And uh, a, a good friend of mine, Jonathan, who's in the British cars, runs up to me and says, do you know who Jerry Coker is? And I said, no. He says, you don't know who Jerry Coker is? And I said, no, tell me who he is. And, and I said, should I? And he says, yeah, well, yeah, you're in Austin Healy, so you know. He's the gentleman that designed the 104 Austin Healy, 1953, and the front end for the uh, 106, which is basically the forerunner to the 3000 series car. And my first car was a 1965 Austin Healy 3000 MK3-3000. As a matter of fact, I bought that car right down the street here. Uh, I was sitting right behind O'Keefe's restaurant underneath an oak tree. Paid a big whopping $475 for that car in 1972. Matter of fact, it was December 1st, 1972. I remember it very vividly because the car only lasted me seven days. Seven days. I'm not sure if that's a record, but seven days. It wasn't really any fault of mine. And I've told the story before on the air years ago, but what happened was is um, December 7th, which was Pearl Harbor Day, uh, the day before on the 6th, I had purchased myself a brand new, saved up the money because it didn't have much of an exhaust system. It was all rotted out, but I saved up enough money and bought myself a brand new exhaust system that I had my friends up at Midas on Golf the Bay back in the day install for me. Now, I couldn't afford the entire exhaust system because it comes out on the left side of the car, comes to the rear over the axles, branches out over the right side and comes out on the right rear of the car. So it basically has like a resonator muffler. And then when it gets over the axle, it's got another muffler and then a tailpipe. But I just thought it would look kind of cool. I kind of like the racing helix if it just had a muffler on it and then came straight out out the back on the on the left side, which is or turned down in front of the wheels. But I didn't want to do that because the heat from the exhaust will eventually cause the tire to, you know, heat up and dry rod, you know, a little bit premature. So anyway, uh, here I am. I'm all excited. I got my new exhaust system on there and I was tickled to death. And that night, that night, okay, in Largo, they had the Largo parade and I was able to get in the tail end of the parade. I had my sister in the car and my girlfriend and a couple other people. So we basically had the car overloaded. But back in those days, they didn't really care if you weren't hanging off the sides. You know, you could overpile everybody in your car. So you'd have like three or four, even though it was a four-seater. Technically, it was a two-seater with two jump seats in the back. But I had like five or six people stuffed in my little Healy. And it was an open roadster. And uh, so we got on the tail end of the uh, the Largo Parade. So that was a lot of fun. But then the next morning on December 7th, I was on my way to school and I was leaving Clearwater Beach. And if anybody you're familiar with Clearwater Beach and coming up to the Memorial Causeway Bridge, it basically is kind of like a choppy kind of road. It's concrete and it's kind of over the years, it kind of like settled and dipped and raised and moved around a little bit. So when they turned the sprinklers on in the morning, the road was that was relatively wet and it was kind of like slippery. So this chick comes up behind me. She's driving, and this was in December, so the 73 cars were out already because this is 1972. So she came up behind me in this really new white 73 Nova, and she was coming up pretty fast. And so I just, out of courtesy, wanted to change lanes. So when I changed lanes, it was right when I hit the bump going up to the bridge. She flew past me, and my car started sliding. Now, the tires were the one issue with the car that I hadn't addressed yet, and they were slightly bald. Well, guess what? The car starts spinning around, starts going sideways. Next thing you know, it spins around almost 360 degrees. I hit the curb, which was concrete. I bounced off off the curb. My door flew open. My tire flew out. My battery flew out because it was in the trunk as well. My spare flew out. Uh, I hit the guardrail pretty hard. 
spun around again, and then the car just kind of came to a stop. There I was, 16 years old, and I had my first accident, and I hadn't even been driving two months. I was not excited about that. So, uh, of course, uh, this guy was fishing down there near the pier and, or near the bridge, and he came running up. He says, you okay? You okay? And I said, yeah. And he says, uh, I saw that. I saw that girl. She cut you off. She cut you off. Well, I don't know if she really cut me off or not, but she did come up behind me, and she kind of spooked me a little bit, I guess you could say, and I reacted. And unfortunately, so did my car, so did the tires, so did the wet uh, street, and next thing you know, I made a mess. I did bust the, the bridge up a little bit, though. I knocked the guardrail off the side of the uh, purlins there, which I later was charged for, by the way. So if you guys uh, you know hit a telephone pole, if you hit a guardrail and you damage it, you are liable for the damage. Okay. So at any rate, long and short of it, Mr. Johnny Lop rolls up behind me. I'm the only car there. I'm 16. I'm young. I'm a greenhorn. And I get charged with... Reckless driving resulting in an accident. Six points. Six points. That was pathetic. That's how it was. Now, you realize back in those days, if you had 12 points on your driver's license within a year, you, you, you lost your license. I was halfway there. I was on my way. So I wasn't happy about that. I mean, I look back now, and it's kind of comical. As a matter of fact, I think somewhere on my pot, if you go to my website and you go to Snapshots, um, I think it's either the first or second row. I actually have a picture of my Healy sitting over at Sanders Paint and Body up on uh, Duncan Street, and it was right behind Globe Auto Imports. And it really, by today's standards, even back then, it really wasn't hurt that bad. It's just that it was a 65 Austin Healy, and there just weren't a lot of parts cars around, even though there was a lot of Healys. But there's differences between the, the BJ7s, the BJ8s, and, uh, and the 100 cars, and so on and so on. But anyway, back to the story about the gentleman I met in uh, in Safety Harbor. So his name is Jerry Coker, and he designed the Healy. And he's British, and he's 91 years old, and he's living a great life in Sarasota, Florida. So he agreed to come on the radio show. We talked a little bit. And the funny question I asked him, and, t- and he responded in typical British humor, I said, well, because I was trying to get a little feel for him, you know, and talk to him a little bit just to see what kind of a personality he would have. And, you know, because you always want to make sure that you kind of mesh a little bit, you know. Many times what you're doing is you're dealing, when you're doing interviews, you're kind of dealing a little bit with egos, and sometimes... They work well, and sometimes they don't, and you have to kind of massage them a little bit. You have to kind sure, of like... right you know. on. Dig it, man. <laughs> so at any rate, so I said to him, and my son was with him, and we got a picture and all that good stuff. And I said to him, I said, so what was the inspiration for the 100 uh, for the the Austin Healey? And, um, you know, because he he that, he was his, uh, an apprentice at the time. He just started working for Donald Healey, and he uh, he's, his claim to fame is obviously the 100s, the 106s, and the Nash Healey. But anyway, his response to me was, well, I needed the money. Now, you know, anybody else would have said, I wanted the experience, or I gave me a great opportunity to design, uh, you know, a world-classy car. No, it was real simple. It was just, hey, man, it was a job. I needed the money. So I got a big kick out of that, so I'm really looking forward to having uh, Jerry on the show here. So at any rate, hey, I think we're going to take a little commercial break real quick, and then we're going to have our guests come on the air, and then uh, we'll be all set to go. So stick around. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio on Cars.
by the woman who'll break the land speed record. Do you know what powers this vehicle? Hydrogen peroxide. Same stuff women use in their hair. Try not to be funny. This baby's like a jet plane. Besides, there are only three men in the entire world who are licensed to drive this car. And no women. And we're going to keep it that way. Come on, Doc. This is what I've been training for. This is my big shot. Think of those deaf kids. What do we mean to them? And a deaf girl is the fastest person on earth. I, I know that. But we're also talking about money. I mean a lot of money. Do you have any idea what it costs to drive this car just once? $20,000. Charlie? Yes. Come on, Dove. Give me the ride. Just do me a favor, will you? I'm not backing out. Kitty O'Neill. Woman's land speed record attempt. Right, we're all set. Give me a countdown. Ten. Ten. Nine. Nine. Eight. Eight. Seven. Seven. Five. Five. Four. Four. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. One. Go! What's she up to? Five, seven, five. Six hundred. Six, oh, oh. Okay. How'd I do? Six hundred eighteen miles per hour. I didn't make the record. But, honey, it's just four miles short of a world's record. No woman's ever come close. Well, babe. I should have pushed you a little harder. Come on, Jeff, let's go get those miles. What the hell? We're here, aren't we? All right, we'll go for Charlie. We're going to go for a get it ready. Hey, guys, this is Courtney Hansen from Spike TV, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. And let me tell you a little bit about this young lady, okay? She's been on TV shows like Overhaul and Extreme 4x4 and a number of TV shows, countless, I can't even name them all, but she's currently host of Velocity Channel's TV show, All Girls Garage, and I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Jesse Combs. Jesse, are you there? I am here. Hi, everybody. Hello, the hello, hello. So, whereabouts are you? You're somewhere between L.A. and Las Vegas, correct? Well, I wish I was farther away from L.A. than I am, but I'm actually just now leaving L.A., unfortunately, so I'm stuck right in rush hour traffic. Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. That'll be about 4.30 right about now, and you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're right there. So tell us how a little girl from South Dakota winds up being one of the top ladies in the car hobby on every TV network. Well, I guess a lot of it has to do with skill. I mean, if I didn't have a skill set of knowing how to build the cars, then I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. So it all starts right there. But I was always... I don't know. I was born independently. My my great-grandmother used to race. My mom used to race. My dad's always wanted to have his own race team. And I guess it kind of just, you get all of those 
skills and that knowledge and that intelligence mixed in with one, and and you get a product of me. <laughs> really? So your grandmother raced, your mother raced. Tell us a little bit about that, because that was obviously very inspirational for you. Yeah, my uh, my great grandmother used to race actually Stanley Steamers, believe it or not. <laughs> Stanley Steamers, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so they would drag race up and down in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and then uh, and then my mom used to race short course off road. And as well as drag racing, and then my dad is a mechanical engineer by trade, so he's he's you know just one of those naturally intelligent guys. And I grew up around it. I grew up with his mindset and my mom's, um, I guess you should say, lack of fear. Okay. <laughs> and now, um, yeah, go ahead. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I have an older brother and an older sister, and then after that, I have a whole bunch of adopted sisters and step brothers and sisters. Any of them uh, car enthusiasts like you? My dad is. My dad definitely is. Okay. Um, my brother kind of is, but really I'm pretty much the only car person in the family. So I say they all have an appreciation for cars, but as far as as far as like, you know, growing up with it, I didn't really have that around. Okay. So what was your first car? Um, unfortunately, to, to be honest with you, my first car was uh, was one of those four-door Eagle wagons. An AMC Eagle Wagon. Oh, yeah. Well, when you grow up in the Black Hills, you needed four-wheel drive, you know, and then I, I stepped up to an awesome Chevy Celebrity, huh? and then and then I started getting sporty and, and got, like, the Eagle Talons. I love I love the all-wheel drive with those cars, and, you know, I didn't grow up with a whole bunch of money, so I took what I could get. And then, of course, we always had our trucks, so, you know, it's usually anywhere between 68 and 72 Chevy Blazers. Okay, good old K5s. Yeah, they're uh, real popular. Yes, sir. Okay, well, anyway, so how did you get really involved in the car thing? Now, I was reading somewhere that you went to WyoTech. Was that kind of like the thing that really got you going? Well, when you're a girl and you try to go into a hot rod shop and, and apply, they're like, yeah, right, you're never going to work here. You know what I mean? So I went to WyoTech to, to prove that I could actually, you know, to get the paperwork to prove that I could do the work. And so, and it was actually there. I, I learned a lot of things of what I was doing wrong, and I, and I honed in a lot of the skills that I I didn't know about, and I learned how to paint cars and do collision refinishing and that kind of stuff, and and um, I learned how to dig weld there. Um, a lot of really great things happened from there, but I'm, you know, being top in my school, I was always top in my class, shop leader, um, class leader, president of the student advisory council, dean's list, national honor, technical society. I mean, the list goes on and on as far as my accomplishments that go there, but I applied myself when I went to school, so that helped out quite a bit as far as making myself recognized by by the staff, and, and those are the people who are really going to help you succeed later in life. And um, when I got, I actually got hired by the school with another kid named Ben Bright to build their show cars for them. So before I graduated from, from WyoTech, I was building their show cars, and I got through one of them before I got offered the job on Extreme 4x4. Now, was that the supposed 64 Mercury Cyclone that uh, wound up? Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Yep, so the Super Cyclone. Yeah, that car was actually a really cool car. It was, um, you know, it was started by somebody long ago, and then he ended up donating it to the school, and it had carbon fiber everything, you know, and for that era to have, like, the inner structure of the doors, even carbon fiber. And um, and we made it a nice little canyon car. It was, it was a pretty cool car when it was all said and done. And then that car was featured at SEMA one year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was actually my first year at SEMA. So the first real car that I ever built as a, you know, as a, I would like to consider myself a professional builder, I, the first car I ever went to is SEMA. Yeah. Now, when you were a little girl, did you, your dad, was he tinkering with cars a lot? Um, he was. 
he built a 1970 GMC pickup truck. Mm-hmm. It used to be his work truck, and then it became his baby by the time it was done. So I was definitely out in the garage with him, but my parents divorced when I was 11, so I didn't grow up with having my dad around to really help and teach me through those crucial years. But most definitely, I think more than anything, it was because I had a passion to drive. I really, really enjoy driving, and, and I wanted to be able to go faster and farther and be, you know, have more power than the rest of the boys. So that's kind of how it all started. It's more of a competitive nature in me than anything. Well, now I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. I played a little clip from uh, Kitty O'Neill, and I was also reading yeah. that you were involved, I guess it was some sort of a land speed record thing. It was called the North American Eagle Supersonic Speed Challenge. Tell us a little bit about that and how that came to fruition. Yeah, it's an F-104 Starfighter jet without wings. Um, you can go to landspeed.com and check it all out. There's all sorts of information about the car and its history and all that amazing stuff. Um A really good friend of mine was a helicopter pilot for Lucas Oil, and where he housed the helicopter, um, obviously was at an airport, and when you're at smaller airports, those guys have a really large community. They're they're really tight-knit friends as far as all those little smaller air pilot guys. And um, one of the guys that was at the airport um, was part of the team with the North American Eagle team. And they're like, yeah, they're looking for a new driver. And my friend Will was like, I have the perfect person for you. And they contacted me and did a little interview at first. And then we did an engine test and we slowly worked our way up to becoming accepted as an official part of the team. And, and I would like to say that I've proved them all very, very proud. <laughs> well, take us through the process a little bit. So in other words, you, cause like typically you've got to be licensed to drive a land speed record car or even be able to compete. So what is the process? What are the steps, the increments, incremental steps? Well, um, I went to Bonneville earlier this year and they take you through the whole safety course and the rookie class to get you familiar with what it's like to be driving fast on either the salt I did it at Bonneville um, or the dirt and make sure that you can follow the rules and you know what to do if something were to happen at the higher speeds. And I worked my way up to a C-class license, and um, which obviously isn't enough because I need a, you know, I'll need at least a double A license to be able to, you know, to be official, but you can skip those to say, you know, cause they, they understand that I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm a very cautious driver. So that really helped out as far as sanctioning bodies to let them know that I can follow rules. And, um, so Bonneville went very successful. I drove a C street roadster, got up to uh, 172, which is perfect enough for the, for the C class. And had we had more time and cars that were actually still running that were lined up for me to drive, I probably would have gone all the way through, but we had a car that blew one of the pistons out. So, um, so I just dealt with what I could get and it was satisfactory enough for them and it helped them kind of introduce me into the world of land speed. Okay. So what's the fastest you've been now on two, three, four wheels on, uh, on the soft flats? Four wheels. My top speed is 440 miles an hour. That's mind boggling. Yep. So I, I'm right now currently holding a record, which isn't necessarily recognized as a record between male and female, but if we're going to say I'm the fastest woman on four wheels, then, you know, that's, that's how we do it. But there was, um, there was one pass. You have to do two passes, and then you take an average of the measured mile between the two passes. And so the first pass that we went down, I, w- I ended up getting caught in the previous day's track, so it was kind of pulling the car in, in different directions. You know, when you get caught in the grooved roads and it kind of pulls you the direction it wants you to go. Um, that's exactly what happened. So I had to pull out. I found a clean spot, put it back into full afterburner, got caught up in the tracks again. And so that pass was only about, I think it was like 353. And then... 
the return pass is where I went 440. So that's why I hold the record at 392 right now. Well, what do they teach you? You mentioned that they teach you, you know, safety precautions and stuff like that. So when you're at a high rate of speed, I mean, I, I've driven road race cars at 170, 200 miles an hour. But tell me what you do on a land speed car. You mentioned groove. So what happens if you're 300 plus miles an hour and you get out of shape? What do you, what what do you what do they what are you instructed to do? To correct it. Oh well, well naturally, I just pull out of the throttle and okay. do everything I can to make sure and just and kind of let the car go in its way as long as it's not. I mean, in the jet car, I only have three degrees of steering either way, so it's not like the car can all of a sudden just you know do a ninety and start tumbling. Um, so it's basically and it's different driving a jet car than it is a car with a steering wheel. So you know the safety precautions of having your wrist straps and. And all that kind of stuff is a totally different story. But, you know, pulling your chutes, letting out of the throttle first, knowing what order, you know, pull, you've got to pull your chutes and let out of Everything has to happen at the same, in the right order for everything to go properly. Like, if you blow an engine, what are you going to do as you're going, you know, 300 miles an hour down the lane? So... It's it's the natural things to try and keep yourself alive. I got oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Self preservation. Okay. When you pull the chute, how much let's say at three hundred plus miles an hour, how 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 much of a drastic slowdown is there? So give us an idea. So in other words, if you're going three hundred fifty miles an hour or three eighty or whatever you're going and you pull the chute, what does the car slow down to right away? Well, I don't have a speedometer to tell you exactly oh, okay. how quick just just to see the speed drop. Um but the first thing I do is pull out of the throttle, and that's a significant decrease in speed. Mm-hmm. And then I have my speed brakes, which are the actual panels that come out from, the, like an airplane, that come out from the panel to give wind resistance. Okay. And that's another significant. The parachutes I feel the most. So I have two parachutes. There's five braking systems total. Um, I have two parachutes. I have my speed chute that's obviously for higher speeds, and then I have my slow, slow speed chute. And then, um, and then we have this really awesome magnetic brake system for our rear axle, and it's a very gradual feeling, very gentle. You don't even know it's on until you let up. You let up, and you're like, okay, yep, I need to put them back on. And then I also have a hydraulic braking system as well. Interesting. So it's fairly sophisticated then. Yeah, but it still takes about two miles to stop. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's a wise. That's a wise. Yep. Yep, and if the ground is soft enough, that that obviously helps slow the car down a little bit, too. Okay. Now, aside from this jet car that you've driven, what is the other most extreme vehicle that you've driven that has just uh, given you just the ultimate uh, thrill? Oh, man. I've, I've been really lucky with my life and have been trained in pretty much every form of driving. But I think what I love the most is driving uh, desert racing. So anything that comes for, like, score Baja 1000, um, Vegas, Torino, those kind of races, off-road racing proves to me to be the most challenging because you really have to think about it. You know, you're dealing with a whole bunch of different elements instead of like a perfectly paved course, you know? So some of the, the like the Baja 1000, you're referring to that, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And I have, I've raced the last two years and I'll be going back right after SEMA to race it again this year. And what do you typically drive? Um, I write, I race with wide open. Um, wide open is considered close enough to be like a class 10 car. 1500cc open wheels full tube chassis so it's kind of like a rail rail buggy well they're tube chassis i mean you got it, it, let's take a trophy truck for example you take off all the fiberglass and you still have a full tube truck okay i got you right mm-hmm. so it's a tube chassis there's no windshields there's no anything like that it's not like it's not like we're taking a baja beetle and turning it into something or you know a full-size truck turning it into a desert car it's it's, it's a fully custom built desert race buggy Purpose built. Okay, so how long do these races last? Or thousand thousand miles, right? Every year is a little, 
Yep, every year is a little bit different. So this year it's just over 800 miles, um, and it starts in Ensenada, ends in Ensenada. Last year it was, um, I think it was just over 900 miles, and it went from Ensenada down to La Paz. So every year it's a different course, so every year it's going to be different. Sometimes it's going to be 1,200 miles. Okay, so it so- might be more than 1,000 miles, yeah. All right, for our listeners, Ensenada is just uh, south of the San Diego border, just south of Tijuana, right? Yes, sir. Okie dokie. All right, so what do you have for a support team when you go down there? Um, thankfully, the Wide Open team is one of those companies that does tours throughout the entire year. So they have an arrive and drive race program. So basically you pay a fee, you show up with your helmet, your race suit, and you go race with a bunch of people. And this year I'm actually going to be racing, which I think is kind of ironic because I, I, it literally was just announced to me today that um, I'm going to be racing with Lisa Matthews, who is the fastest woman on water. Interesting. Yeah, so she, she races boats. Now, I'm not familiar with her. Is she uh, offshore? Is she drag boats? Or what does she raise? What type of boats? I have yet to do my full research with her, but she seems pretty cool. She texted me earlier. Okay. <laughs> She's really excited about it. Okay. So I, think, I think it'll be a good fit because obviously neither of us are afraid of speed, which is a good thing. <laughs> okay. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Let's jump over to your TV shows. Now, you were on Overhauling for a while, Extreme 4x4. I think that's where you got your break in TV, right? With uh, Actually, Ian? Actually, where it all started years ago. We came in and built a uh, 56 Bel Air, turned a four-door into a two-door roadster at Wyotech while I was still a student there. Oh, okay. And that's when I, that's when I was first introduced to Chip Booth officially face-to-face and Troy Chapenier, Brian Fuller, some of the top builders. And um, so that started, I did two episodes with them. And I guess that's kind of what helped Wyotech figure out that I have TV experience, quote-unquote, because I still don't think I was very good when I actually became a television host. Um, so it started with it started with over to Holland nine years ago, and then and then I got the full time job with Extreme Four by Four, and I hosted that for about four years, so just over about a hundred episodes with them. And then um, after I broke my back, things were a little different, and I moved on, and that's when I kind of opened up the whole plate to working with a whole bunch of different companies. Really, you broke your back? What happened? I freakishly had a five hundred and fifty pound industrial sized bandsaw fall on me and talk on my head to my knees and burst fracture my L3, so I have an L1 through L4 vertebrae fusion. Ouch. Well, how, how does that affect your mobility? Um, it doesn't, actually. Um, I, my doctors still consider me a miracle case. One, I should be in a wheelchair. Two, I should have no feeling. If, you know, if I could actually, if I could still move my limbs, I shouldn't have any feeling. And the fact that I'm out there doing more stuff than I ever did before, they're just, they're absolutely impressed by. I mean, and I healed way faster than I should have. So the average healing time for that kind of injury is 12 to 15 months, and I have full medical release at eight months. Well, congratulations. Super for you. That means you're a pretty fit little girl then. Yeah, I mean, building cars and especially heavy-duty off-road vehicles, I'm lifting heavy tires and metal all the time. So I think being strong definitely helped out from or prevented the injury from being worse. Okay, and you're also an avid snowboarder, right? ride as much as I used to but yeah there was a there was a point in my time where I wanted to become a pro snowboarder and you know back 10 9 10 years ago it wasn't very prominent for women to be snowboarding so I was spending more money than I was making any money in competition so I found a career in building cars <laughs> okay now tell us about the TV show All Girls Garage how'd that come about and uh what that's about a little bit because it's it's actually filmed right here in Tampa isn't it uh, yeah, but we're not supposed to talk about where it's filmed. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shh. That's a top secret. Nobody knows that. Oh, top secret. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I've actually worked with Brenton Productions for um, for many years. 
after I, after I left Extreme 4x4, I did a whole bunch of guest appearances with them. I was their in-house fabricator for a few of their episodes and a few of their TV shows. And we had always talked about starting an all-girls show because, to me, I think that's very empowering. And it, and it helps show that I'm not the only unicorn out there that can work on cars. So, um, so it was really nice to be able to get a team of, of intelligent women together, very skilled and talented women together, and do a how-to show on how to upgrade your car, anything from basic diagnostics all the way up to full custom build. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. And we do easy stuff. We do all the way up to really hardcore stuff. So I think it reaches a full full gamut of, a, of major demographics. And I think, I think it's really good to show that there's a lot of women out here that can do this. And, and if there are girls out there that want to start a career in building cars, that it's totally okay to do it. Now, what are some of the – now, you're on your way to SEMA. What all are you going to be doing at SEMA? Are you going to be involved in some of the programs? Are you going to be encouraging women? Uh, to get into the hobby Holy and stuff? Smoly. Oh, my goodness, yes. The list is very long. So okay. um, starting on Monday, there's a there's a group of us get together called Gear Up Girl. So it's getting a whole bunch of the younger, newer generation females teamed up with older generations of females, and we can kind of help guide them along how to walk the SEMA floor, how to talk to people, eye contact, shaking hands, all that good stuff. Um and making yourself present and, and known and, and, and come off very smart and intelligent and, and professional. And so it starts there. Tuesday is the actual opening of the show. So I'll be, uh, I'm doing the opening speech at the New Products Breakfast Award Ceremony, which is kind of a big deal. And then I go, we'll be building a card for All Girls Garage during the entire show. Um, I have autograph appearances at... Lincoln Electric, Warren Industries, and Wyotech. You guys can go to my website, jessiefilms.com, to find the whole schedule. Um, and I will probably have it posted up on on Facebook, I would say, probably by Monday, just so anybody who's coming knows where to find me. But I'm, all, I'm in the programs and everything. Um, I'm going to be doing banquets. There's all sorts of industry gatherings that I need to go to. Um, I'm part of the SEMA Business Women's Network. And so get together with those girls and celebrate our anniversary. Um, and then I think there's, yeah, and then there's the short course stadium races next weekend. So I'll be there. I'll be there and busy the entire week. It's one of my busiest weeks of the entire year. Well, the one thing about SEMA, though, is probably the one venue the whole year round where everybody from all aspects of the industry kind of get together and, and meet. And sometimes you only get to see each other once a year and it's at SEMA, correct? Yeah, sometimes, definitely. And it's, it's, if you're in the automotive industry, this is definitely the show that everybody's at. It's a pretty prominent place to be and to meet people and to network and find new products. That's the main thing is to find all of these innovative products that people are coming out with these days. It's pretty intense. Motorcycles. Tell us about your love affair with motorcycles. Well, like I said, I grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and which is kind of home of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. And I grew up around motorcycles. Um, you know, for many years, I thought I was going to open up a motorcycle shop where I built w- motorcycles for women because, you know, we're, we have a different structure than men do and to find a more balanced way of putting these bikes together so women feel more comfortable and more apt to actually get on a motorcycle and be in control of the handlebars. So I, I build motorcycles, and there's, I, I ride motorcycles practically every day. Um, I have a 1976 Harley-Davidson Ironhead that I am completely rebuilding, so it's all still in metal, bare metal right now, and the engine's getting rebuilt. And um, I drive a 19, uh, no, 
2012 Triumph Bonneville, which is perfect for L.A. commuting, and it's really fun little whippersnapper. And um, and then I just built a brand-new 2013 Harley-Davidson um, Slim, and it, that's a much lower, narrower bike, but, you know, so it's for the little guys who want to have a big bike feel, and I completely customized that. We started at an all-girls garage and then um, finished doing all the custom painting and, and fabrication in L.A., and then took it up to Sturgis, and, and we auctioned it off for charity. And it was a really cool story. Chris Simmons, who is a really good friend of mine, her husband ended up buying it for her. Pat Simmons, who happens to be with the Doobie Brothers, bought it for his wife for their 24th wedding anniversary. And she'd been looking for a new bike for many, many years. She has a whole bunch of vintage motorcycles, but she's really excited about the bike I built. And I couldn't be more honored to, to have somebody of her stature riding one of my first ever custom-built bikes. So I think it's a good fit. That's pretty cool. Now, uh, I think we got like 30 seconds left. But you, how about dirt bikes? You know dirt bikes? You know, I can ride dirt bikes, but it, that's just another hobby that I don't really have time for. Okay, okay. Why, what are you driving right now on your way to Las Vegas? Um, I have a 2500 Chevy 12-passenger van. <laughs> it's my tow truck. It's perfect. I can load on my motorcycle. I can go camping. I can take it anywhere, and I don't have to worry about anybody stealing anything out of the back of it in L.A., so it works out perfect for me. Super. Well, Jesse, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you very much for taking the time out. I know you're on your way to Las Vegas, uh, but uh, hang out here with us on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I look forward to seeing you in SEMA. I need to bring back some autographed pictures of you because i got a bunch of listeners that definitely want some autographed uh, pictures of Jesse Combs. Meanwhile, I want to tell all my listeners, don't forget the Born to Ride concert this Saturday with Joan Jett, with uh, Bad Company, with Molly Hatchet, and uh, Foghat. So, uh, meantime, I want all my listeners to stay safe, drive carefully, love your family. We'll see you some of the car shows. Be sure to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. Everybody take care. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his hands. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Born to Ride Jam Music and Motorcycle Festival, Saturday, November 2nd, England Brothers Park in Pinellas Park, starring Paul Rogers and Joan Jett of the Blackhearts. Also, Blackberry Smoke, Foghat, Molly Hatchet, and David Allen Coe, Joan Jett of the Blackhearts, and Paul Rogers. Meet Sons of Anarchy stars Katie Segal, Theo Rossi, and Kim Coates. Paul Rogers and Joan Jett of the Blackhearts. Plus, counting car stars Danny the Count Coker and Kevin Mack. Joan Jett of the Blackhearts. And Paul Rogers. Don't wait. Hurry and get your tickets now. At BornToRideJam.com.